who are the new moms and dads out there willing to adopt or be foster parents? Pray about it. Another, another question is, uh, are we willing to reach out to the neighbors and some of those people that we don't think will ever listen? We don't, we don't necessarily know who. Who will listen? So we need to reach out. We need to be ready and point them to Lord Jesus. There's a lot of hurting people out there. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for those who are gifted, able to sing out or write stories, uh, true or fictional, based on things that happen in this world all the time. And that, Lord, you are still at work. And we thank you for that. Uh, open up our hearts to be more sensitive to your leading and to know what it is you are calling us to do. Uh, help us to, to see, uh, Lord, those, those in need. And we thank you, Lord, uh, for every opportunity that you give us uh, to proclaim your love and grace. We ask, Lord, that as we get started this morning, that uh, at looking at your word here in worship service, we've been studying your word in Sunday school class, we've been singing praises, but as we get into this message, Lord, um, help us to, to evaluate how to apply it to our lives and then to follow through. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to be here with you again this morning, and I know some of you have been very, very busy, and yet you still made an effort to come this morning, so thank you. Uh, thank you for all those who are trying to put together this special time, and I know we didn't give you very good, uh, very good options. Uh, there's a lot going on here, so just thank you for being here, and I'm looking forward to spending some time with you after worship service. If you weren't planning on it, no, we got plenty of food, <laughs> so please stay. And, uh, you know, a lot going on, right? I went and watched the, the cars go up and down the road. Uh, and, you know, there's just something different in the air. I came home and my DVR had recorded something. Can you feel it? There's something different in the air. Yes, you're right. Preseason football. Is that, you, is that that's what you thought I was going to say, isn't it? Uh <laughs> Some of us love the gridiron. Uh, we love to see these great battles, especially when it's our team that wins. And one of the things that we love in the United States is a good underdog story, right? Especially when it's our team. When somebody that they don't expect to win, wins. Or like back in the 90s when they always, always underestimated the Huskers, and then we would prove them wrong, right? That's when I loved it. They usually would start out never understanding the power of the option, a good option game, and the power of putting together the right team that maybe looked different than your normal West Coast or throwing teams, but were skilled in what they did best. I'm getting off the point here just a little bit, but a lot of times people underestimate um, these teams and then, boom, underdog story is written. 
And today we're going to find a great battle that takes place where it looks like one is the underdog with the deck stacked against them, but the opposite is true, right? We know this passage. We probably absolutely love this passage. And so we need to be reminded that we must confidently live for the Lord God regardless of the odds. We need to be a people who are confidently knowing that the Lord God is the one in control with all the power. And so first we're going to look at the great conflict. And like I said, I may not uh, read all of these verses. There's 40 of them. But it's a powerful, powerful, uh, true account of what took place. In verse 1 and 2, though, it says, Now it came about after many days. Remember last few weeks we've looked at Elijah and that he was uh, in uh, Hereseth and he was waiting on the Lord. He was with the widow and the widow's son died and then the Lord brought the son back to life and he's still waiting. So after many days in James 5.17 it says um, from Basically, from the start, when he proclaimed to King Ahab, hey, repent, or there's going to be a drought, it's been three and a half years to this point. So after many days, and really after many days since the point of after the time that this boy was raised again, back to life, uh, after many days after that, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And so here we begin to see this great conflict. And for Elijah, I think the great conflict is already kind of over. But there's some challenges. There's going to be this battle. And it reminds me of the Christian life. We're already victorious, but we've got to continue to press on. Elijah already knows that God is in control. And the Lord is already telling him what to do, but he's got to do it knowing that God's already won the battle. So I think Elijah's conflict is over, but what was his conflict? I would say it's already, it was to wait. It was to wait. In verse, uh, again, like James 5, 17 said, it's been three and a half years. Uh, for, for the drought, and that's about the point after this, here at the end of chapter 18. But also not only to wait, you know, where was he waiting? While there by the brook, three years, probably, I don't know how long he was by the brook, Cherethith, but uh, three years in Zarephath, three years with this widow, Three years waiting. I would say not only was it to wait, but to trust. What what was King Ahab doing all the time? A lot of the time was spent looking for Elijah to deal with him, right? So he had to trust God to protect and God to do what he said he would do. And we think that would be easy, right? I mean, all of us know that Jesus is victorious over the grave. It's a sure deal. But yet, we live in the day-to-day. Here's Elijah, much the same. 
but that God would answer. And just to go. So he had his conflict was to wait, to trust, and to go. And then he goes. In verse 3, Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And so there's this conflict about Obadiah. He, he feared the Lord greatly. Verse 4 says, For it came about when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. And so we find here he's a man who fears the Lord and he's doing great things things he rescues these prophets but it's behind the scenes it's in private still scary right but he's behind the scenes a powerful man in the kingdom but yet his life could be in jeopardy and he's still willing to trust god but now he and king ahab is so dry out that they're trying to find pasture for the cat the the king's livestock forget the the rest of the kingdom the king now is trying to find grass for his horses and his mules to keep them alive there in verse five and so ahab goes one way and obadiah goes another way and now as he was going in verse seven on his way behold here comes elijah to meet him And he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is this you, Elijah, my master? And he said to him, in verse 8, It is I, go say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. He said, What sin have I committed that you are giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? So now he's fearing for his life. He doesn't want to come out in the open and say, Hey, Elijah is here. He doesn't want to seem like he's on Elijah's side. He wants to maybe remain behind the scenes or a closet. Believer? Maybe. I don't know. But he goes on. He says, you know, surely, will you come? He's got to trust Elijah to show up. Because if you don't show up and I say you're here and you're not there, he's going to be mad and my life's over. If he thinks that, basically, if he thinks that there's any association between me and you, it's over. He wants to remain in the shadows. And so his conflict is to now go and trust and come out of the, from behind the scenes. Is there other conflict in this passage? All this conflict is based upon whether they're going to follow God, the Lord God, and obey Him and believe in Him, or to hide, or to remain silent, or to do it the way their society, their culture does it. Let's look at the people of Israel, the conflict for them in this passage. 21, Elijah came near to all the people and said, and I'm just skipping over, I know there's this dialogue between uh, Ahab and Elijah, but for the sake of time, we're going to move on. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord, notice here, Lord It's either for Jehovah, which is used for Yahweh. So 
the God of the Bible, the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, if the Lord, Jehovah, is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. (laughs) Going back to school, right? Sometimes you have the right answers and the teacher calls on you. You may not want to speak up. If you don't know for sure, do you want to speak up? No. These people should have followed the Lord's. None of them spoke up. None of them wanted to say yay or nay. And so they're being challenged because of their false belief. They were challenged to change their apathy. They're being apathetic. And they were challenged to make a choice. Now, we're going to move on, and maybe this is going to stretch it a little bit, but do the false priests have a conflict? Yeah, it's a Bruin. Why? Because there's no way. You guys are going the wrong way. You have worshiped a false god, therefore you are false priests, and there is no way. The conflict is their stupidity. (laughs) Let's put it that way, right? While the nation suffered, these priests were fed. Look at this passage here, right? If you read through, you'll see that they were at the Queen Jezebel's table. So while the nation suffered from the famine, no doubt there were people dying. No doubt there were cattle and livestock dying. Here were these false priests, and they were able to eat whatever the queen had to offer. And so while the nation suffered by the drought that the Lord God brought, their false God that they worshipped did nothing. Now these 450 were challenged to see if their false God would respond. And sadly, just like Israel, we all struggle with, you know, when we look back at the the people of Israel here in this passage, we all struggle with properly placing the Lord God first, or even turning to the Lord God to begin with. We struggle oftentimes like Obadiah. Hey, I'd just like to remain behind the scenes. We struggle like the people again, not wanting to step up. Do we make the choices Are we like Elijah and make choices to follow the Lord even when it's hard? Even when there's this huge conflict of brewing? Now life is hard and it isn't easy to do what is right. But will we? Will we confidently live for the Lord God regardless of whatever odds that we see? Second, let's look at the great confrontation. And and we read a portion of this passage already. But in verse 22, Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. And so when we look at this passage, 
I want to again bring out the, these differences. Make some comparisons. Because we have, we have, number one, a false worship versus the true God. Right? In this passage. We have the worship of Baal and Asherah, right? And that's the goddess. And there is 400 priestesses. And here is mentioned specifically the 450 Baal priests. And so we have 450 priests who worship Baal. And Baal is the chief Canaanite and Phoenician sun god. But of course in each locality there, or each city, there was just, just some different variations of it. Of worshiping Baal, of who Baal was. But they saw Baal as the giver of warmth because of the sun god, but also of destruction as not only does the sun bring warmth, we love it in the spring, don't we? But when it's dry as a bone out, like, ugh, we need some rain, we need some cloud cover. So they saw Baal as both the giver of warmth and the destroyer, and so they had to worship him carefully. And when it was getting to be a drought, they would pass people through the fire. There were many other things they did to sacrifice people, but basically most of these people, I don't know about any instances, but they say is basically a live sacrifice of a human being in the fire. And so they would have to try to get on the good side of their false god by doing the wrong thing. And so during these dry time, as it was, they should have realized that they were worshiping the wrong god. But here we are, three and a half years into it. So there's this false worship, but there's the true God, Jehovah. So the challenge here is set. We have the one priest against the many, the one true God against the false religion. And so here in verse 22, then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood but put no fire under it and I will prepare the other oxen laid on the wood and I will put will not put a fire under it then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord Jehovah and the God who answers by fire he is God he's a living God he's the only God and all the people said hey that's a good idea, right? In verse 24. And so the stage is set here. And so as we move along, we see the false worship versus the true God. And so really, they think the underdog is this one man versus the many priests. And surely the 450 priests of this false God can get the ear of their God if he is really a true God. 
but one man. And so in verse 37 through 38, we see that there is a, there's a, couple, of re, a couple of things we can look at. And we're, we're doing a comparison here. There's, a, there's not a response. And there's a powerful response in this passage. And we, skipping down through here, we see what they're doing. Uh, actually, let me read it. It's fascinating. So in verse 25, So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. See, Baal had to start a fire. The sun god, note, the sun god had to start a fire, okay, Where was I? All right. <laughs> o Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they leaped about the altar which they had made. It came about at noon. It's getting hotter out. Sure, surely their sun god is more awake now. But anyway, that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside. Or is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. I think in my translation, the word gone aside, and as I was looking at all of these, the King James pursuing, perhaps he's pursuing, I'm not sure what all the words are, but that pursuing. Some say meditating, some say in a deep thought, like mine it says gone aside. The ESV and the New Living Translation reads relieving himself. Okay, so the Hebrew is kind of hard to discern. Euphemistically, it is used as relieving himself. Some of the great theologians believe that is what he's saying. Saying metaphorically, he, maybe he's using his celestial restroom in the sky. Someone, I'm not going to name names, keeps saying how how much uh, wives can do while the husband's in the restroom. Sometimes so long. Thinking in there. Perhaps that is what Baal is doing, Elijah is saying. Maybe he's like all men. Out doing work, out doing this, and unable to answer. A lot of men don't answer their wives, do they? So he's, he's really pointing out, hey, guys, maybe you need to yell louder. <laughs> he's, he's busy, you know, verse 28. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. It came about when midday was past that they raved, right, raved, notice, Understand that they're yelling very loud, they're dancing around, they're doing their chants, they're doing all that they can do. 450. Right? You understand? That's going to be loud. And yet, and yet there's no response. But there was no voice, verse 29. No one answered. And no one paid attention. 
you know, what is Elijah doing here when he's encouraging them? He's pointing out how worthless their false god is and their worship is. He's pointing out that their god is, is no better than a busy man. But then here in verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and, and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. Elijah took the 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the, with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood and he said fill four pitchers with water these are large pitchers of water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood and he said do it a second time and they did it a second time and he said do it a third time and they did it a third time and the water flowed around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. What is Elijah doing? He's setting the stage to say, hey, you think I'm an underdog? Look at this. He's stacking the deck against the Lord. But he can't do that. There's no way he could do that. He knows that. But he wants them to see. You know, Building the altar, the 12 stones, I believe is also reminding Israel, the people there, you are God's chosen people. God has made a covenant with you. He is your God. He is a covenant-keeping God. Some say, well, where did they get the water? Well, it's close to the sea. There's some pretty cool... Uh, pictures they they have it as a, a reserve now it's kind of a, a national park today there's a set of mountain ranges there for mount carmel and so they traveled down and got the water and they filled the trench they dumped the water all over then in verse 37 and 38 what happens he says a simple little prayer, doesn't he? And he fills the trench. Look at 37. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. The only living God. And he says, O Lord, our God. And that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Do you serve the living God? Do you understand that God is powerful and able to do all that He says He, he will do? Are you? Here's a, a picture of one of the mountains there on the Mount Carmel mountain range. And I think it's important for us to understand they still recognize what Elijah has done historically. Not really Elijah, but Elijah followed the Lord and what the Lord did. But what Elijah does next, 
Are you on the right side? So here's a comparison. Are you following the true God or engaged in false worship? How many idols do we have today? What comes before the Lord? Do we believe that God will answer? Yes, he will answer. Are you on the right side? And here in this passage, Elijah's on the right side. The false worshipers are on the wrong. And their time is up. I love the first Peter passage. I believe it's first or second Peter talking about how people are like, oh, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. There are instances throughout history where we find that God has acted. And when it's time, are we ready? It goes on to say here, in this passage, verse 39, when all, or 40, pardon me, then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought, oh wait, I should read verse 39, pardon me. I got excited. But first, the recognition here. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God. Jehovah, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. There is, up here you see, there's a statue on Mount Carmel with Elijah. What's in his hand? A knife, right? See that? A big old knife. What's under his feet? One of these false prophets. That's why I'm saying, are you on the right side or are you on the side where time is up? Time will be up. Are we telling people, turn to the living God? Obviously, God called his prophet to destroy these men. They were leading a nation astray, a people who were to serve the living God away from the Lord, the living God. And God called him to do something that was right. Do you follow the Lord? Do you see how important it is to follow him? He is the only living God. He is the only living God. Today, when we look out at this world, there's some who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And why do I bring the Lord Jesus Christ in it? Because he is the Son, God the Son. He is God. He says, I am he. In several passages, there's some who follow him. We do, right? Who do we follow? Always remember, judgment will come. It always comes. It will come. We just don't know when that time will be up. Are we going to press on and serve the Lord? So how then do we apply this passage? You know, the conflict we face continually is to put the Lord first, isn't it? In my life, 
even? Am I putting the Lord first? When we look at the people, they did not speak up. I think it's important for them to understand there is no middle ground. Who sees the false prophets? The people. At one point in time, they're not speaking up. Elijah gets them involved and says, seize the false prophets. There is no middle ground. The best place to be destroyed is in or on middle ground. An uncommitted life to the Lord, that's very dangerous. Are you committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? Not only the conflict we face continually to put the Lord first, but the great confrontations are here and they will come. Are you confidently following God? God will use those who are fully following him. Throughout chapter 17, we see God use Elijah. God didn't need to use Elijah, really, he didn't. He wanted a spokesman, but he also used him in a powerful way. The boy came back to life, right? Now here, are you willing to be used by the Lord? Are you fully following Him? Another thing I think we can apply is one life lived with conviction for the Lord can change the direction of a nation and a culture. Do you believe that? Has God used individuals in the past to begin vast movements where people followed the living God? Is he calling you to stand even if you have to stand alone? Also, I believe we could say there is more power in a soft-spoken prayer asking for God's will to be done than in a crazy horde, right? Prayer is used powerfully by God. With all of this, if you forget everything, you need to remember to confidently live for the living Lord, even when odds seem stacked against you. Because it's not stacked against you if you're on the Lord's side. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are gracious and you desire to use each and every one of us. And we look around at this world and we see a lot of crazy things going on and sometimes we can get discouraged. But help us to keep our eyes on you, Lord, and give us the boldness to stand when you ask us or command us to stand. Help us always to see your side, to always see the right side, and to stand clearly upon it. Lord, we ask